Okay, welcome back. Thank you for coming back, especially those of you who knew that you were coming for the terrible, horrible, no good, very bad news. And for those of you who did not know you were coming for that, welcome. So happy you're here. Um, I am honestly a little discombobulated. I just dropped my phone out of my back pocket into the toilet right there. Everything's going to be okay, but I just needed to say it out loud because there was not going to be any of me talking for the next 30 minutes. Um, without, it's just right there. Like I washed the case. I would like to put the phone in bleach. I don't know. It could be worse, but I'm a little freaked out. But Yeah, but toilet water. The phone's working. I don't ever want to touch it again. That's the problem. Everything's okay. It's fine. Everything's fine. It kind of feels fitting. So here we are. Um, okay, last week, um, like Sarah said, Ev introduced us to Paul and to his letter to the Romans. And um, we are picking up tonight officially with chapter 1, verse 18. But because the first word of verse 18 is therefore, it means that Paul's talking about something he just talked about. And since that's been a week ago, if your memory is anything like mine, it might be helpful to revisit that for just a moment. So we're going to back up um, and just read verses 16 and 17. To be like, okay, what was Paul just talking about that might help us understand a little bit about what he is teaching us tonight? Starting in verse 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek, that would be the Gentile, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And that feels like a whole lot of church words, like in one paragraph. So it was helpful to me, maybe helpful to you to be like, okay, what did he just say? Okay, this is what he just said. He says that the gospel is the power of God to save everybody who believes. He said that the righteousness of God has been revealed. So God has shown himself. He has shown who he is in his perfect holiness and righteousness. That has been revealed. His moral perfection and justice. And he says that the gospel, or the good news, is that God saves. And that he will make people righteous through faith. Okay, so what's interesting here is that what he implies, even before we get to the bad news that we're going to spend literally all of tonight talking about, is he implies that um, God's righteousness has been revealed and he has a way to save you. And you're like, did I miss something in the calculation? So it's like in between the lines is, oh, I need to be saved. <laughs> right? He just skip, skips straight to it. There's power to save you. And it's like, oh, take a step back. So apparently I need, I need this saving. Um, and so because the righteousness of God has been revealed. And the bad news that we're about to start with is that um, the other thing that's been revealed is the wrath of God against the unrighteousness of man. Uh, we've got a problem. This is why Paul is so eager to preach the gospel, because the gospel is the only way, the good news of Jesus is the only way to reconcile the righteousness of God and man. Because really, and it not be end in disaster and hell for us, right? Because the righteousness of God met with the wickedness of man means that 
the righteousness of God and all of his love and his justice and his not letting us destroy each other with sin means that he's going to put out justice on sin. And if we're unrighteous, that means us. So we need help, okay? Um, and so Paul is going to start here. And it's interesting, a lot of the, um, well, almost all, I guess, of the Old Testament prophets did the same thing. They start with the bad news. And, you know, I think it's because the, uh, the good news isn't really good until we, to until we totally sit and how bad the bad news is, right? Um, when I was a freshman at Ole Miss, Jeffrey Lancaster was our pastor, and you know, it's funny, that was a really long time ago, so I don't remember a ton of things he said. I'm sure they were awesome, but I'll tell you what I do remember he said. This one illustration that we so often think that us needing to be saved means that we're uh, out in the ocean in a lifeboat, which is a very unpleasant place to be. We're kind of floating along, and we're waiting for the big boat to come and save us. And that's kind of how we view the good news of Jesus saving us. And I remember he say, him saying, y'all, that, that is a lie. That is not where you are. You are not in need of help. You are at the bottom of the ocean, dead with the Walmart on top of you. Jesus does not come to help you out and help you out of the little boat that you're already pretty safely in. The gospel comes to take dead people and make them alive. And so what we're going to talk about today is the reality of how dead we are and how dead in our unrighteousness and our sin we are. Um, so personally, um, y'all have probably all had moments in life where you're like, I get that feeling of being in a hole that I cannot save myself out of. And I've had plenty of those. Um, one notable one is that when Clay and I, we got married real, real young, and um, we finished up what we were doing the first year of marriage, which he was working in an accounting firm, and I was finishing uh, undergrad, and we transitioned into me being in grad school and him being in law school, which was awesome. And uh, about a month into that, we found out I was pregnant with Clayton. <laughs> woo -hoo! A lot earlier than we thought. I mean, like, we were really young. <laughs> like, this happened really fast. Um, and the other thing that happened is we realized, or Clay realized, because I was clueless, that um, we had lapsed in our health insurance. And in between the accounting firm and getting student insurance, which probably would have been terrible anyway, we had no insurance, which meant we were like, yay, here we are to join your insurance. They were like, ooh, that pregnancy is a pre-existing condition, and you were going to pay out of pocket. And that is going to be $10,000. I'm not kidding. And that is a lot of money to me today. But as a very broke, married student, we were like, what are we going to do? And our parents would have rescued us, I'm sure. But the shame of going to them to say, we have created this mess. And when I, I asked Clay, I was like, what do you remember that, about that? He was like, I remember it was all my fault. So feel free to throw me under the bus. I was like, ah, I mean, I was there too. Uh, but it was just a very, like, we have made a mess. And it is a hole that we cannot climb out of. Um, and so as we're sitting in that, and the Lord was gracious, he actually did not leave us there very long. Clay got a call from a law firm with the offer of a summer job that he had already been told they wanted him, but they couldn't take him because of their scheduling. And they called back, and they're like, we're making it work. And y'all, 
I still remember where I was sitting in the kitchen table and I can see him standing on the phone that was attached to the wall that had the cord. And he was like, we, like we're going we're gonna to be able to pay that bill. And I just remember th- now thinking, like it was nuts. Had we had $10,000 or $8,000 or $9,000 in the bank, that job would have been lovely. And it would have helped us to have like a date night that wasn't a $5 Pizza Hut pizza. Like it would have been lovely to have a little more cash to live on. But coming from the place of being in, the, in a hole, that call was amazing. It's amazing. And so Paul wants us to look and take a minute and stop and realize the hole we're in. So we're going to start in Romans 1, verse 18 now. Feel free to mark phrases in your book as you read along that jump out to you. Sometimes when you hear somebody else say it, it hits you different. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with the women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves a due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them but give approval to those who practice them dead at the bottom of the ocean with the Walmart on top of us. This is who God says we are, apart from Jesus. So again, that was a lot. Simple recap may help, right? So what did we learn? All people are filled with ungodliness and unrighteousness. So they suppress the truth about God, who has shown, clearly shown who he is. And so man has no excuse. We know him, but we don't honor him as God or give thanks to him. But instead, we become useless in our thinking, and our hearts are darkened, and we claim to be wise, but instead we become fools. We exchange the glory of God and worship images of man and creeping things. We become idolaters. 
Tim Keller said, This sounds like God's wrath comes in response to bad manners. We've forgotten to say thank you. But Paul is saying we don't acknowledge our dependence on our creator, but claim to be dependent, independent. We prefer the illusion that we can call the shots and decide what is right and wrong instead of the reality that creation speaks to us of. We were created to worship the creator. So if we reject him, we will continue to worship, but we'll just worship something else. And because we choose to worship something else, God gave us up to the lust of our hearts, to impurity and idolatry. He gave us up to a dishonorable passions, sexuality. I'm going to stop right here and say a thing, and then I'm not going to come back to it. So here's the thing I'm going to say about the whole passage about homosexuality. Um, it is real easy if... Now, it is very likely that there are women in this room who at some point or another or now have struggled with issues of homosexuality. That is just the truth. And we can be so fast, if that is not our struggle, to latch on to that because it is so easily out there and not me. And so tonight, I would love for us to consider ourselves. If that is your struggle, that's a thing you consider with the Lord. Uh, but every single one of us, as we're about to talk about, um, we are skewed in our sexuality in some way or another. Every single one of us. So let's stop with that uh, before what I'm trying to say is um, no runaway trains and small groups on homosexuality. There are more things to talk about tonight. You can do that another time. I want you to focus on you tonight. Unless that's you. And in which case, say what you need to say. Um, and since we did not see fit to acknowledge God, he gave us up to a debased mind to do what not ought to be done. All manner of unrighteousness. And so in that, can you, the picture though of our Heavenly Father coming to us as we run away from him to other things when all he wants to do is love us and give us the security and the worth and the purpose that we need. He has it all ready for us and we go looking for it in other places that he says, okay, if that is what you really want, his wrath comes by saying, have at it. Go for it and let's see what that does to you. Um. Basically, what this is talking about, this unrighteousness and wickedness that is so pervasive, um, the, the word for it, I guess the phrase, would be total depravity. It's not that we're as bad as we could be, but it is that sin affects every single area of our lives. It affects our thoughts, it affects our words, it affects our hearts, it affects our motives, it affects our attitudes and our actions and our sexuality. It affects every part of us. And so, um, that's a hard thing to hear, and it's a thing we don't love to hear. And I think I've mentioned this before, but this really just hit me last year, and it's something that I kind of, it kind of started making sense to me. The Bible talks about this so much. The prophets talked about it, and Moses talked about it, and uh, Paul talks about it all through the New Testament, and Jesus talked about it, and everybody is talking about how very sinful we are. And don't you just want to be like, I mean, I have got, I got it, got it. I've heard you, you've said it a lot of times. Uh, but a little, a little light bulb turned on in my mind, and I was like, what if the Lord is saying, no, actually, you, you don't. You don't have it, and you don't understand, and you forget. 
And that's why I'm going to keep telling you over and over again, because you need to understand that you were dead at the bottom of the ocean under the Walmart before I saved you. Because if you think you're in a life raft, the good news is just, I mean, take it or leave it. If you're dead under the Walmart, the good news is absolutely life-changing. So um, just because we're just going to, we're going to sit in this. I really like to tie things up with a bow and like send you home happy and make it better. And I'm not going to do that tonight. So here we go. Um, and just because sometimes it's easier to hear things and actually them um, sink in in a way that you don't hear them quite as often. I want to read that last section to you where I think probably all of us are um, wanting to crawl under our chairs when we see the things that we say, oh, I, I do that. But I'm going to read it to you out of the, um, the message. It's a little different. It hits a little different. Um, if you would like to, you do not have to. If it feels weird to you, don't. If you would like to close your eyes, since I'm just reading this to you, and just listen, um, I would invite you to just listen and just notice um, words that jump out or phrases that jump out or, like, feelings that you're, like, a phrase hits and you're like, you know, the, like, like the, I'm getting red, I'm feeling itchy, and that, that's saying something to me. An opportunity to notice that if you would like to. Since they didn't bother to acknowledge God, God quit bothering them and let them run loose. And then all hell broke loose. Rampant evil, grabbing and grasping, vicious backstabbing. They made life hell on earth with their envy, wanton killing, bickering and cheating. Look at them. Mean-spirited, venomous, fork-tongued God-bashers. Bullies, swaggerers, insufferable windbags. They keep inventing new ways of wrecking lives. They ditch their parents when they get in the way. Stupid, slimy, cruel, cold-blooded. And it's not as if they don't know better. They know perfectly well they're spitting in God's face. And they don't care. Worse, they hand out prizes to those who do the worst things best. It's really uncomfortable, isn't it? It is not fun to acknowledge our unrighteousness. We would much rather suppress the truth about ourselves. Paul is right about that. And so then Paul transitions, and he moves on from talking about the general unrighteousness that we all live in um, to specifically talking in, the, in chapter 2 um, to the church people. So you can think about it when he's talking about the Jews and the Gentiles, right? And the church in Rome, we learned last week, is going to be a mix of a lot of Jews and Gentiles. And that's going to be a lot of the struggle. Because the Jews have always been God's people and have had his word. Um, and the Gentiles have not. They're new to the family and they've like been worshiping idols, literally, and like worshiping the sun and all of the Greek gods. So when you think about... When he's talking to the Jews, it's kind of like he's talking to the it's like he's talking to the church people. Like these are the people who were supposed to know some things. They're supposed to know their Old Testament, and so he comes to them and he starts by talking um, to them as the self righteous. But really, what we're going to see, real quick, is that self righteous also equals unrighteous. Okay, let's read 
starting in chapter 2. Therefore, you have no excuse, O man, every one of you who judges. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself, because you, the judge, practice the very same things. We know that the judgment of God rightly falls on those who practice such things. Do you suppose, O man, you who judge those who practice such things and yet do them yourself, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works, to those who by patience and well-doing seek glory, seek for glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. There will be tribulation and distress for every human being who does evil, the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory and honor and peace for everyone who does good, the Jew first and also the Greek. For God shows no partiality. So we're in trouble. Yet, yet more, we're in trouble. Um, we are so prone to minimize and suppress the truth about our own sin. We really are. Um, and one way we're really good at doing this is by pointing the finger at others and just looking at what is worse out there. Okay? So Clay, my sweetheart, is a, um, he's a criminal prosecutor. So the joy of his everyday work is that he sees, he, sees the, the, he sees the worst stuff go down, right? He sees the greed taken to a level of fraud that steals millions and millions of, of dollars and ruins the lives of farmers in the Delta. He sees um, sexual distortion and immorality taken to a high school basketball coach having sex with the girls on his team and making videos of it. And on and on and on, he sees the worst. And you know, I hear him talk about these things, and A, you're like, is that really happening? Yes, those things are really happening in not very far from where you are living. And then I think, whew, I'm pretty nice. I'm pretty normal. Aren't you happy you're married to me? Um, and, you know, it's, it's one of those things that we do really well. But I do feel like Paul is coming to us and saying, hey, just because you didn't steal the millions, you don't get a gold star for your greed. It wasn't like, great job, you won. You're not winning by it just being not as awful right? Um, when the righteousness of God is revealed, what is required to be in the presence of the righteousness of God is perfection. And what that means is that one unkind thought can keep us away from the Lord. You want to know how many unkind thoughts I've had while I have been up here teaching, right? Um, and so one unkind thought if what Paul is saying is true, that we are completely unrighteous, um, and that keeps us from God, and it deserves death, like it said earlier, one unkind thought means that um, I'm separated from God, but not just that, because we're kind of like, oh, that's rough. It means I go to hell. Like, it means I'm done. 
forever. We are barred from heaven by one unkind thought. And we walk around thinking we're just really pretty okay. And it's Jesus is just nice. He's so nice. It's so nice to read our Bibles. Okay, so question. How do you get to heaven? Like somebody say, how do you get to heaven? Awesome. See, the morning did this too. That's exactly what I wanted you to say. We're not talking about Jesus yet. How about without Jesus? We're not talking about Jesus yet. We're just talking about the bad news tonight. How do you get to heaven? You can be perfect and never have not even one unkind thought and be perfect, perfect, holy, blameless, just like God. And that's the only way. So how do you get to heaven? You don't. You don't. All of a sudden, the good news that God wants to save us and give us righteousness becomes really good news. Okay, he's going to transition again. And now he's going to talk about people, still church people, who are outwardly righteous. Which, as you can guess, also is unrighteous. I don't know you, but I am... Um, I can see myself in all of them, in all my different creative ways of being unrighteous. I show up in all the categories. Um, let's start reading in verse 12. Oh, in this section, y'all, um, for the sake of time, we can't cover it all, but just for the sake of the limitations of your teacher, there were, I got to parts of this and it was like, mm, I could study this for a really long time and probably still not be able to teach it in a, in a way that, um, it was beyond, it was beyond me. So, I'm not going to do that. And we're going to let the work of the Holy Spirit work in our hearts by reading his word. But I'm just going to talk about a little bit of it that we'll talk about tonight. Read a little bit of it. Starting in verse 13. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. But if you call yourself a Jew and rely on the law and boast in God and know his will and approve what is excellent, because you're instructed from the law... And if you are sure that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of children, having in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? While you preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that one must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law dishonor God by breaking the law. For as it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. So Paul's talking about all of us in one sense, but particularly to people who are teaching, particularly to people who are leading, who are up front, who are out the words out of their mouth. They're telling people how to live and they're telling people what God says, but by their actions they are doing exactly what they're telling people not to do. Their words claim that they're righteous and their actions show that they are not. Um, so it's this extra level of hypocrisy is what Paul's talking about now. Just be honest about who you are. It's harder than it seems. Um, this is why it's so difficult when church leaders fall 
That's why it's so hard. We've been listening to them for years. Bring God's word and tell us how to live. And then the curtains pull back and we realize that they're unrighteous too. And it's hard. Um, there was, growing up at my church that was not in this town, there was a man who was beloved. Um, beloved. And um, it came to light that he had, through his uh, financial planning business, been stealing from people in the church, mainly widows. And it was devastating. It was devastating. Who he professed to be on the outside and who he really was by his actions were two very different things, and it was devastating to the church. And we all do this on some level, do we not? How many times? I've, I've said, uh, let's not gossip several times tonight already. And, you know, just this past, this past weekend, I was um, at a retreat that I was so grateful to be at with a whole bunch of pastor's wives. And I looked up in the middle of a conversation. And it was like, you know, sometimes the light bulb goes on. And I was like, what am I doing? The word, I was gossiping. I was standing in a room gossiping to a bunch of preacher's wives. I was like, who am I? And we're unrighteous. And that's why Paul is saying we need help. So this outward is, you know, it's, it's real easy. It's you go to church, you give the tithe, you do the things. And maybe if I do these outward things, you won't know what's really going on inside of me. It can deflect what's actually in our hearts. It's like we are trying to staple on fruit. Staple on. Yeah, I want you to think I'm a tree that is full of the love of Christ, but in reality, I'm picking up apples off of the ground or somebody else's tree, and I'm trying to staple them onto myself and look like things are great. But that shows very quickly that it's not true. So um, that's where we end tonight. Isn't that awesome? What a crummy place to end. Um, but we trust that the Lord loves us and that there is a reason why he does not want us to be, um, he doesn't want us to be, our hearts to be darkened and our thinking to be useless. He wants us to see clearly who we really are so that we will see clearly how amazing he is. He's amazing. Um, this Alexander and the Terrible, Horrible, No Good, Very Bad Day is one of my favorite books that I read uh, to my children when they were little. And, um, yeah, I'm going to read it to you now, but not all of it in the matter of time, but you'll get the point. I went to sleep with gum in my mouth, and now there's gum in my hair. And when I got out of bed this morning, I tripped on the skateboard, and by mistake, I dropped my sweater in the sink while the water was running, and I could tell it was going to be a horrible Terrible, no good, very bad day. Or you could drop your toilet, your phone in the toilet. Um, at breakfast, Anthony found a Corvette Stingray car in his breakfast cereal box, and Nick found a junior undercover agent code ring, and all I found was cereal. I think I'll move to Australia. In the carpool, Miss Gibson let Becky have a seat by the window. Audrey and Elliot got seats by the window, too. I said I was being scrunched. I said I was being smushed. I said if I don't get a seat by the window, I am going to be carsick. No one even answered. I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. 
At school, Miss Dickens liked Paul's picture of the sailboat better than my picture of the invisible castle. At singing time, she said, I sang too loud. At counting time, she said, I left out 16. Who needs 16? I could tell it was going to be a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I could tell because Paul said I wasn't his best friend. I wasn't even his second best friend. I was his third best friend. I hope you sit on a tack, I said to Paul. I hope the next time you get a double-decker strawberry ice cream cone, the ice cream part falls off the cone part and lands in Australia. There were two, cakes, two cupcakes in Philip's lunch bag, and Albert got a Hershey bar, and guess whose mother forgot to pack dessert? It was a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. That's what it was, because after school, my mom took us all to the dentist, and Dr. Fields found a cavity just in me. Come back next week, and I'll fix it, said Dr. Fields. Next week, I said, I will be in Australia. On the way downstairs, the elevator door closed on my foot, and while we were waiting for my mom to go get the car, Anthony made me fall where it was muddy, and then when I started crying because of the mud, Nick said I was, I was a crybaby, and then while I was punching Nick for saying crybaby, my mom came back with the car and scolded me for being muddy and fighting. I'm having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. I told everybody, nobody even answered. There were lima beans for dinner, and I hate limas. There was kissing on TV, and I hate kissing. My bath was too hot. I got soap in my eyes. My marble went down the drain, and I had to wear my railroad train pajamas. I hate my railroad train pajamas. When I went to bed, Nick took back the pillow he said I could keep, and the Mickey Mouse nightlight burned out, and I bit my tongue. The cat wants to sleep with Anthony, not with me. It has been a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. My mom says some days are like that, even in Australia. Um, one of the reasons I love this book is that mom doesn't fix it. Mom lets him sit in the reality of, yeah, some days are terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days. And the truth is some things about us are terrible, horrible, no good, very bad news. And our Lord Jesus loves us enough to let us sit in it. So that we will, so much joy, it's totally, we're not supposed to end with joy. Um, so that we will see him more clearly. So that when the good news comes, it will be something that we want to sing from the rooftops about because we understand why we need it. So I'm going to pray for us and then I hope you'll have some good um, discussion in small group. Heavenly Father, um, Lord, thank you that you love us enough to be honest with us, um, that you love us enough to show us who we really are. Uh, Lord, though, we know you did not create us this way, and so we feel the pain of the way we function in this world, and we know it's not right. Uh, we hurt you, and we hurt ourselves, and we hurt each other, and Lord, we're just thankful that there's good news to come. We're just really thankful that you don't choose for this to be the end of the story. In Jesus' name, amen.